The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So we thought we'd read through these um, together, and uh, but before I do, I want to read to you something from Ayakima, who was a pretty amazing German teacher. Um, she said, first one hears what I was saying earlier. Then we, were, then we might remember and question, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And if this step doesn't happen, she says, no matter how many books or understandings we have, there's no help or progress on the spiritual path unless we really inquire, how am I going to do this? Okay, so that's really what we're doing tonight, really um, inquiring a bit. How, how am I going to do this? Um, so maybe I thought, maybe our teams, we have different teams here. Um, Susan, you were part of the loving kindness team. Would you read that part, the first part? Uh, Jeff has, yeah. Sure. Uh, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is hatred healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. In gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, whether they're weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. So the question, how am I going to do this? Compassion. Maybe Jeff and Teresa? Each person carries his or her measure of confusion and sorrow. Buddhism teaches that we suffer not because we have sinned, but because we are blind. Compassion is the natural response to this blindness. It arises whenever we see our human situation clearly. Buddhist texts describe compassion as the quivering of the heart in the face of pain, as the capacity to see everyone's struggles with kindly eyes. We need compassion, not anger, to help us be tender with our own and others' difficulties, and not close them off in fear. This is how healing takes place. This is from the Dalai Lama. Compassion without attachment is possible. Therefore, we need to clarify the distinctions between compassion and attachment. True compassion is not just an emotional response, but a firm commitment founded on reason. Therefore, a truly compassionate attitude toward others does not change, even if they behave negatively. Genuine compassion is based not on our own projections and expectations, but rather on the needs of the other. Thank you. And Helen, would you read The Sympathetic Joy? On seeing or hearing about a dear person being happy, cheerful, and glad, 
gladness can be aroused thus. This being is indeed glad. How good, how excellent. Just as he would be glad on seeing a dear and beloved person, so he pervades all being with gladness. When unselfish joy grows, many noxious weeds in the human heart will die a natural death, or will at least shrink. Jealousy and envy, ill will in various degrees and manifestations, cold-heartedness, miserliness, also in one's concern for others, and so forth. Unselfish, Unselfish joy can indeed act as a powerful agent in releasing dormant forces of the good in the human heart. And then equanimity. Sure. Um, Equanimity, it seems to me, this is by Sylvia Borstein. Equanimity, it seems to me, is the ground out of which the other three flavors of benevolent mind arise. Everything depends on it. Equanimity is the capacity of the mind to hold a clear view of whatever is happening, both externally and internally as well as the ability of the mind to accommodate passion without losing its balance. Equanimity is understanding what it means to stand in the midst of all experience with unshakable balance, to be responsive yet unbroken. That's from Christina Feldman, and here's another one from Christina. You are asked to find the grace balance and understanding to be present in your body and in your world, releasing over and over again the clinging and grasping that it be otherwise. And then the last part is from Venerable Nyaponika. Love imparts to equanimity its selflessness, its boundless nature and even its fervor. He's talking about how they balance one another. Compassion guards equanimity from falling into cold indifference and keeps it from indolent or selfish isolation. Until equanimity has reached perfection, compassion urges it to enter again and again into the battlefields of the world. Sympathetic joy gives to equanimity the mild serenity that softens its stern appearance. It is the divine smile on the face of the enlightened one. How am I going to do this? <laughs> so um, bring into your, you know, contemplate your own life, your own experience. What kinds of questions arise for you? What do you wonder about? And um, know that whatever question you have um, will be uh, a question that somebody else has as well. What comes up for you? Oh, you who wanted to do this as a whole group. Cynthia. I was here for the practice of, excuse me, compassion. And it just felt so much like 
the practice of loving kindness. And I would be curious to know the distinction. Cynthia, as the quote indicated, we talk about compassion as the quivering of the heart in response to suffering. And so for me, compassion relates more to how we respond to suffering, whereas loving kindness sort of sends out that experience of loving kindness to anyone and everyone, sort of irrespective of whether they're suffering at the moment or not. Um, I don't know if others wanted to add, but, but to me the distinction really centers on the suffering piece. Um, is, there, is there a particular way that it comes up in your life that you wonder about? You know, uh, again, the real question is sort of, you know, how am I going to how am I going to do this? Is there, in terms of the distinction there? Okay. Okay. Uh, Nancy Elizabeth, yeah. So the quote, <clears throat> the third one under equanimity, talks about releasing over and over again the clinging and grasping that it be otherwise. So my question has to do with, yes, well, when you realize, or for me, when I realize how much clinging and grasping that something be otherwise, uh, how to keep from being discouraged about it and just sort of like, oh gosh, this is never, this is never going to change. It's always like this. Do you want to do that or shall I? Susan, you want to do that or shall I? Yeah, you were asked to find the grace balance and understanding of the present. Yes, you do it over and over again. Right. I think the, o the over and over again is the key. All of this is over and over again. We never, we never have it aced. There's no guarantee. It's in the moment. That's what our practice is. And be just taking, uh, trusting that this is, this. You know, I think that there is maybe, there progress can be made. We make progress. We know that. I mean, if after we practice for several years, we're no longer the same. We don't do it the same as we used to. But by golly, perfection, you know, you never know when it's going to, we get up and we do it again, over and over. Yeah. What else is there to do? <laughs> what are the choices there? Thank you. Anybody else? Just one other thought, Nancy Elizabeth. And that, for me, what I find helpful is to remind myself every day of the four Brahma Viharas so that they're sort of in my awareness as I go through the day. Doesn't mean I don't 
mess them up, which I do consistently. But at least there's some sense of, oh, what would it mean to bring equanimity to this situation or loving kindness or compassion or whatever? Just, just that general reminder. I had something else to add. For me, I heard you say about not getting discouraged, and I mean, I think you do get discouraged, and to be able to bring kindness and compassion to that, but also um, and, and hold that with equanimity um, in the in the space of it. But also, um, just the um, working with the clinging, just trying to really notice as fully as possible the moments when you're not, when you do let it go. Even if you come back right in the next second, because I know that happens to me a lot. And it just, But just to notice, the, the, it helps me when I notice those places of, of relief, I'm going to call it relief from the clinging, because that's the way it feels to me. It, it sort of builds on itself that, to remember that. I am. Um, I, I hope I'm not belaboring a point, but I want to go back to the question about the difference between loving kindness and compassion, because they both sounded like it's just important to be really nice, and I think it is. But there seems to be some point to the distinction, and I guess uh, I I get Jeff's point, but. Um, I feel like there must, uh, I want to be compassionate to people even if they're not suffering and I want to exhibit loving kindness when there is suffering. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping y'all can talk some more about that because that's one of the things that I've been questioning all season as we've been doing this. Thanks. I'll start with a non-response to that one. Um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, really, the inquiry would be more useful to be, um, okay, there's this person that I struggle with, whoever that is. The, the invitation of these practices isn't actually about being nice so much as noticing more along the lines where, where Helen was speaking, Noticing where we close our hearts. Notice where we hang on to something that is making me separate from that person and me better than or worse than that person. Where we're really noticing some place where we're dividing the world. Um, and then the inquiry is, okay, what's needed for my heart to soften a bit? For my heart to maybe feel or even not feel and offer some quality of kindness because it's good for my own heart. Not because we're kind of trying to dump some kind of, you know, kindness onto somebody else. Um, but because to hold our hearts against someone or against someone's suffering really, um, really uh, causes our own suffering. So if you, if you think of someone in particular, um, 
if anyone has anyone that's difficult in your life. And you really kind of bring it into someone in particular, you know, okay, you know, can I have a sense of kindness toward that person? Fair enough. If I, you know, if I ran into that person, um, you know, or you know, I actually did have a difficult encounter today, can I be kind? And then compassion is really more, can I, I think it was in one of the quotes, can I really have a sense that if that person is not, if you will, not behaving well, or, you know, or that there's suffering there. Think about the most difficult person that you will read about in the Washington Post tomorrow morning. Really, seriously. And compassion invites us to contemplate the suffering Ah, it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's hard to even touch the Washington Post because there's so much suffering. You know, from people who don't even know they're suffering. I mean, there are people in the, in the news who know they're suffering, but there are people who don't know they're suffering. But they are. Can we cultivate a heart of compassion for those people as well? So the difference between, you know, kindness is, is really more what we're offering, I think, and compassion maybe more along what, you know, how, how open and soft our own hearts are toward everyone. But we start close to home. We start with what's doable. We start with that next door neighbor whose dog is barking. You know, or the person who cuts us off in traffic um, and is rude. Can we see that that person is suffering? You had something. I think I just really would like to uh, affirm what what you said. You know, we don't really have to wor worry too much about the difference between these two. When we start working with these Brahmaviharas, heart qualities, these begin to arise natural, naturally so that when we are in the presence of someone who is suffering. You don't have to worry about it and say, oh, I've got to cultivate compassion. Or what was it? Was it loving kindness? Was it compassion? You don't even think about it. Let it happen. It just happens. This is the beauty of this practice. It's, it's not a mind thing, finally. I mean, we, yeah, we do have to think about it. We work at it. We practice. But it happens on its own. So just what you said, we don't have to worry too much about compassion, Equanimity, and I know that's misleading because here we're giving you a bunch of quotes and making distinctions among them. But finally, we don't have to do that too much. Just trust your heart. Cultivate it, trust your heart. I guess more of a comment than a question. I just really like the second quote under compassion. And it sort of brings a, a new distinction in for me um, when it talks about compassion being not just an emotional response, but a firm commitment founded on reason. I don't usually think of compassion as something based on reason, um, but I can see how it creates a little space there that uh, keeps you from being attached to you know, a person doing as you wish or changing the way you'd like or um, that you can just be compassionate regardless of the outcome. So I, th I thought that was a lovely quote.
for me, it's not the challenge is not so much my feeling and and connection towards others, um, compassion towards others, and so I still know that these are applicable, and I, but I keep looping them around to my main glitches and issues that I deal with are my developing anxieties because I'm not meeting this expectation for like standards of perfection for myself. Um, am I doing well enough on the job? Do I know enough? Have I reached the standard that I would like to represent? Um, and then sometimes even, although I resist guilt, but guilt because, uh, you know, something, well, actually, because my children are not as perfect as I would like them to be either. <laughs> All of that. And so my challenge with all of this is really mostly the arrows all point back to me. Um, and, and this is weird, but I don't have as much trouble like being compassionate to others. And, um, and what I would love would be to be a less anxious person. That's my dream and goal. And so fix that for me, please. <laughs> okay, so since I'm holding... Thank you for the question, Jane, um, and the reflection. And I suspect that it is common amongst many of us in here, uh, particularly when you talk about the notion that this is really about um, working with this one, my reaction to, my um, experience of. Um, and that's really the only thing we can work with is, is this one. And you're speaking also, I think, towards um, this notion of self-compassion beginning at home. And how is it that we continue to treat ourselves with the kind of compassion that you say is more freely extended to others to direct it to me, to this one? Um, and to have to see if it's possible to have as much um, tenderness, if you will, for yourself as you might extend to your child or anyone else. Um, it's a great place to practice. And, and, and I think it also, uh, when you mentioned the word guilt, um, to, to just maybe frame that a little bit differently as one option would be just to say, what's going on right now? What am I noticing? 
um, expectations. You mentioned setting the bar so high for yourself. Um, to just extend a kindness to this one for how it is in this moment. Um, really hard to do in this Western culture where we have uh, high expectations. Sorry? Ego. Ego, yes, yes. So can we just recognize that it's conditioning that has us aspiring to some notions of performance or excellence or whatever. Um, but can we just extend kindness in the moment to ourselves when we see that that is arising? Yeah. I was going to suggest, kind of going right along with what Teresa was saying, you know, I heard in your comments that you know, you've got the answers right there. You see and know that it, you say it's pointing out its ego and that you have very high standards, standards of perfection for yourself. And I think I heard within your comments, you recognize that's not reasonable, that's not going to happen. Maybe I think that a core of what's going on is a lack of trust in yourself in terms of what you already know. You know these things. Can you come back and say, yeah, you, I, heard, I think I was correct. I, I don't know, maybe it wasn't, that you know that perfection isn't going to happen. You, yes, you know that, and you just said it, it was, it's ego right in there doing its thing. How about, oh, hello, little ego. You're doing your thing again. Hmm? Trusting that you know. Trusting that it's okay. Your ego is the same as everybody else's ego in this. You know, our, all of our egos do the same thing. Like, what's new? This is the way egos go. Trust that you know better than that. It's your wisdom voice. You can trust that. Yeah. Keep dropping this. Jeff, I was uh, really intrigued when you said that each day you remind yourself of the Brahma Viharas. I was wondering if you could go into the little more detail on that because this sounds—it sounds like a good thing to add to a toolkit. Not a, not a whole lot more to say about it, other than I—I I make it part of my, my I begin my practice with um, some gratitude practice. Um, and then a little bit of each of the Brahma Viharas, just to just to remind her, I'll do a little loving kindness, a little compassion, and just run through them, and um, and then settle into my sitting practice. So it's just a way of having that there at the beginning, along with the gratitude. I just find it's a way to sort of begin to settle the mind and the body, and and and, and pave the way for hopefully uh, getting quiet and and going from there. So. Nothing more complicated than that. Not, not so much uh, to Susan's point. I mean, I think, I think that it sort of just cultivates a general awareness. And, and so to Sharon's example, if, if someone cuts me off, I'll, I'll just sort of be aware. It's just sort of a, an awareness, I guess, that... Uh, equanimity is something I'm striving for, and I don't say that. I just, it just sort of, it's hard to describe, but it sort of comes up as a feeling that, 
you know, there was a time when I'd be really contracted around that and angry and upset, and I can just work toward letting that go and just waving it off and, and going on. And it's just a general way of, of trying to carry that mindful awareness through the day of, of various parts of the practice which really s speak to my need. Uh, and, and, and I often say to students or when I teach that if you did nothing else in this practice but practice the Brahma Viharas every day, you'd be well along the path. I mean, I think this is such a powerful practice and these are such important concepts. Thanks for the question. Um, what I I'm interested in equanimity, but I've noticed that I tend to kind of slide into indifference or neutrality a lot. And I'd rather, it's kind of uncomfortable feeling. So anybody got a one word? solution or something <laughs> I would I would start by looking to see if you can have equanimity around not quite having equanimity you know to like, be interested. So that we're not like, you know, as we're practicing these, it's not like we're like, hmm. when I was in fourth grade, you know, where there were the commandments and you had to be good and you had to like confess. I was Catholic, I had to confess all the things that I did wrong and didn't quite make it. It's, it's not like that. It's more like, um, how your garden grows and what's needed here. So you notice that you fall into indifference a little bit or what feels like indifference feels kind of flat or uncaring. Doesn't, it, it's just that I used a lovely word and I forgot now what it was about how you notice that it's indifference rather than equanimity. Um, yeah, kind of a neutral thing. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Bob is signaling that he can't hear me. Um, you know, so to kind of, ha is it possible to notice that? And that's true for all of us. It was in some of the other questions as well. Can we notice that absence of loving kindness, absence of compassion, absence of joy, absence of equanimity, bringing these qualities to the noticing of the absence? Does that make sense? <laughs> Well, for starters, just to notice, so that we're not attacking, you know, it's like mm, growing zinnias, <laughs> you know? We plant the seeds, and then we do what needs to be done, but we don't measure and count and go out and yell at the plant every day because it's kind of growing in the wrong direction or it's, you know, not growing the way we thought it should or something like that. We're interested in the quality of our own heart and in what's happening. You know, so I would propose that you inquire, what's happening here that equanimity is really hard? 
you might find that you have an idea, like Jane was talking about, that she has an idea about how perfect, you know, I'm supposed to be. Or, you know, if I, you know, say, okay, I want to have equanimity about, oh, goodness, all sorts of things. We'll take something huge like climate change, you know, <gasps> you know, that doesn't even seem doable. How you know, how might one cultivate some kind of balance with respect to this? Maybe by um, getting a good night's sleep. Hmm? Maybe by um, becoming interested in what's going on, what's, what's kind of blocking me. Uh, maybe I have an idea about how things are supposed to be. You know, I am belong to this political party and this is how things have to be because this is, you know, this is what I think or um, I have ideas about, you know, somebody was mentioning I have ideas about how my children are supposed to be and so it's really hard to have equanimity because I am so committed to that. And so we might kind of inquire into what's kind of holding my mind and heart in a particular way that kind of relaxing and saying, well, it is what it is. Now what? <laughs> you know, so there is a now what. But, but we have to start with it is what it is. Does that help any? Yeah. I'm hesitant about if this really, if this applies to your question, but it's striking me that for me, my, my gateway is the body for something like that, you know, of checking and seeing where the holding might be. And I have some key areas <laughs> that usually show up first. There's, you know, well, left shoulder. And, but, and, and just hanging out and maybe breathing in that direction. And, and sometimes something will open, and I don't, it's not necessarily verbal, but, and, and I'm, the reason it seems, related is just the, the idea of indifference when I'm feeling indifference about something that I'm like How, why do I feel indifferent about that then it, it helps me to go to the body I'm just thinking about the notion of um, attachment to a view that, that sometimes when we're feeling whether it's guilty or indifferent that that there's there can be a sense that we're in that and that's how it is and in that moment we have forgotten how things change and so just remembering impermanence for example I I think that's one of the beauties of this tradition is the way in which every concept is woven within intertwined with every other concept and so for Jeff, the Brahma Viharas, but you, you could choose the triple jewels, you could choose the, the Eightfold Path or the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Any of those hold um, such beautiful keys to understanding and beginning to see how they are all connected. And one, you, you dwell with some um, thought on one and immediately you're dipping into the rest. And so I think of impermanence uh, when I feel myself stuck or locked in, as Helen um, said, when the body feels tighter and contracted in some way. It's just to remember impermanence. Yeah. 
and, and just a final thought, which is I think sometimes indifference is a defense against the challenge of equanimity. It's just an easier place to go. And so I find helpful to the mantra, and this too, just for my, and this too, oh, the light didn't change when I needed it to get there on time, and this too. It's just stuff happens, to use a cleaner version of the usual quote. time to close and um, thank you so much for uh, the lovely questions and um, the generosity of those and also for uh, just for being here and may you all be well. Namaste.